The following recording is a reading of author and writer Matthew Pope's Greatest of These, a theological study on true love and biblical love. This book aims to inform readers of what God's love truly is and what it encompasses. May you enjoy this reading and this audible version of this publication, and may God bless you. In the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed in a moment. Greatest of these. And now abideth faith, hope, charity, these three. But the greatest of these is charity. 1 Corinthians 13, 13. Charity is an everlasting sense of the human spirit. It remaineth with the man for the endurance of his lifetime. Before the asphyxiation of death arrives, leaving the carcass of man as a shell without the ghost. As horrific an example, the truth is tangible. It is palpable. It is without dealings of a scientific proof, man will inevitably fade into eternity. But as the starkness of mind arises, does the human emotion of love too dissolve into nihilism? Does the once everlasting tendency of favor for a man or a woman from another vanish into the air with which neither can be seen or touched? John 19.30 When Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. James 4.14 Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time, and then vanisheth away. Hello, and thank you for joining me. I'm Matthew Pope, the author and writer of Greatest of These, and the host of In a Moment. I appreciate your viewership and your listening of this publication of mine. This book is rooted in the ideas of biblical love, the ideas of true love, scriptural love. In the previous episode, I spoke in depth on this book as a whole, on the meaning and context behind this theological work and study. Today, I wanted to begin bringing this word into life, breathing it out and reading it. I wanted to do so by each paragraph to simplify the ideas and the ways and the footnotes that are used in this book. So I decided to read each paragraph at a time and then present the scriptures at the very tail end of the message. So for this first segment, I wanted to delve into what you just heard. And that was in fact the first paragraph including the main scripture for the book, the influence behind the name, and other things pertaining to the study of love as a whole. Before we begin, the theme of love is is very deep. It's enriched by our human emotion and feeling, because it's flesh and bone. 
we understand what love does. We understand without even understanding the biblical components, we understand that love is a necessity for human life and culture and community. And without it, we do not prosper nearly as much. And in fact, without it, we are destitute and falling apart and imploding. And love keeps us afloat. It keeps us tied to one another as we are to be attached and tied to the cross and to Christ. And so in this first paragraph, the setup is clear. It is presenting the notion of charity. In the King James Version, charity is love. And love has different shades, biblically, and in various meanings. But in this sense, it's love in a general sense, having love. And so this is a a a divine thing, a divinity thing. Love is being handed down to St. Paul. St. Paul is speaking, and he's saying, even if I had the tongue of angels, and I do not have love, I am nothing. In other words, even if I'm a spiritual being, but do not possess love, then I'm absolutely nothing. We could kind of look at Satan and his fallen angels and see that point. They do not have love, but have envy, malice, hatred, wrath, and they accomplish nothing in the end. They accomplish nothing but pain and torment. Love, from God's perspective, is the opposite. Love conquers all. So in the end, that's why Christ is victor. Because even though he has might and power and prowess, love has enabled him to conquer all because he is truly love. He is all love. In this first paragraph, we read that charity is everlasting. It doesn't die. God is everlasting. He's immortal. Ecclesiasticus says that righteousness is immortal. So we understand that love persists forever and ever. It endures until the end. This is why we, in wedding vows, say we love for better or for poor, richer or poor, and it's lifelong until death in sickness and health and until death because love continues on love is is intended to carry forever and love is is aimed and designed to be there even after death so in heaven we enjoy the love of the father and the son the holy spirit because we've enjoyed that relationship now on earth we will enjoy it in the new bodies in the new heaven and new earth as well so the the premise for this paragraph is that we're setting up the idea that love continues. And if that's the case, if love is going to continue, then we have to understand that man cannot outlive it. In other words, if love comes into the heart of man now, it will reside there, even into the grave, and then when he rises again in the resurrection, even now when he's in heaven, he's alive more than ever, he has the love of God with him, the favor of Christ is with him. So it is persistent. It is an endurance. And this is truth. So I mentioned scientific proof. Well, the science is there. The Bible and science agree. They have an agreement in this, in that it is palpable and tangible. Love can be seen. It can be felt. It can be heard. And we've seen that in Christ's death and resurrection. Love continued. Love was evident at the Passion Tide. Love is evident now in the Spirit of Christ, in that I'm engineered to give love. I'm engineered to receive love. So love continues. And so we speak of nihilism. We speak of a nothingness. Well, without love, we are nothing. So love defies the nothingness. Love says, no, I'm everything. I am all that you will receive and give. I'm the power. 
I'm in the heart, the human heart, the, the passion that we have, the goals, the desires. Love fuels those things. And it resides again. It lives in man. So this left with a question. The first paragraph ends on a question on a note saying, does it vanish in the air without being seen or touched? Does it vanish when man and woman depart from one another in death? Does it vanish when man and woman, man and woman depart from the earth? Will it be there in heaven waiting on us? And the answer is yes. Because we understand that Jesus said it is finished. John 19.30. This is the footnote that I mentioned in the reading. John says, John reads and says, When Jesus therefore received the vinegar, he said it is finished. And he gave up the ghost when he bowed his head. So it is finished. The love of Christ did the work of salvation at Calvary. And it is finished. But he rose, ascended into heaven. And the love is there. The love abides. And it abides with us forever. This is why Christ desires us to abide in him, because we can do anything when he's abiding in us. So that love keeps us connected. The love of Christ that we have in our heart, the love for the Father, the love and the spirit of charity, the Holy Spirit of charity keeps us bound to Christ, and we are connected. And then James 4.14 reads, What is your life? It is nothing but a vapor. So life is just a vapor in itself. It is just a little time. Love does a lot in a little bit of time. In a matter of 70, 80 years, and then your life is done. Then we have to live our second life if, we're, if we are with Jesus Christ, if we're saved. But the love is there. So just because this life fades doesn't mean love does too. Love is everlasting. Again, we're going back to the original, and this is the whole point. Love does not die. So in the beginning of this work, we are saying love can't die. And if it can't, then what are we going to do with it? How are we going to live in love? These three abide, but the greatest is love, reads 1 Corinthians 13, 13 in the Holy Scriptures. Love is grand, and it is needed in any society, but without the biblical essence, it is nothing. St. Paul reminds his readers that without love, his works are worthless. God desires true love, for he is love. And he has loved us first. What greater love then is there than God giving his son, Jesus Christ, which he did long ago? Learn about Christ and his magnificent love in Greatest of These, a publication by author and writer Matthew Pope, exploring the basis of what love demands to be and how it is appropriately expressed. This guide to the New Testament outline of this theological virtue, love as Christians know it, lies at the spiritual center of Jesus. Let us not love to gain, but to lose ourselves in the person of the Holy Spirit sacrificially. Greatest of these, available for purchase on Amazon Kindle. Love is boundless. It is a feeling that no person ever demand be removed, or a sentiment that can be retracted on the basis of whim. If so, then love, charity, never knew that person's heart. The heart, as told in scripture, is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Hence, the human heart is the pit of contentiousness, found in the wars and rebellious natures of certain peoples. Nation may rise against nation, but love conquers all. Despite the trueness of love, the heart of humanity is plagued, nevertheless, with such an existence of putrid stain. The tar of pitch in the chamber for where love resides is tarnished with this emblem of resentment, unforgiving manners, and in fact, uncharitable intentions, existentially opposed to the idea of love. 
blood billowing over with regiment and scorn is the core of the heart. Therefore the center of the romance is puffed up and drained all in one, but the tether of jealousy, not contentment, theft, not honesty, and vileness, not purity. Humanity's heart is wounded with pride. And he said, That which cometh out of the man, that defileth the man. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. Mark 7, 20-22 It is but a vacant sign of love, for once it was present, but now is passed on as what becomes of the vessel previously occupied. Welcome back to the second segment of In a Moment. And what we were talking about before and what you just heard was the second paragraph of Greatest of These. And this is the response. We wanted to take the time to provide the scriptural nourishment to greatest of these. And the things you heard in the second paragraph, we didn't have a chance to do. As compared to the first paragraph that you heard earlier in the show, we included the footnotes, the couple footnotes that were there uh, in the text. And so in this second segment and last segment, we wanted to provide the scripture that comes with the text of greatest of these, the, the very thing that you just heard in your hearing. So we wanted to begin kind of expounding these scriptures and and kind of bringing some enlightenment to why they're included, um, to what their importance is as far as the biblical and theological notion of love is concerned, um, and what God has to say about these things through the prophetic writings and through the writings of the New Testament uh, and elsewhere. And so as we begin, we pick up on Jeremiah 17, 9, which says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? So the human heart is frail. The human heart, the natural heart, uh, without Christ Jesus living inside, um, is driven by fleshly desires and appetites. It is driven by the evil. And so the things out of the heart uh, that Christ has spoken of, even in the, the second paragraph, you mentioned we, we mentioned that um, Mark 7 speaks on those things. It's wrath, wrath and malice and envy um, and lust and gluttony and evil and lasciviousness and those things. Jesus wants to replace those um, with his spirit. He wants to replace those things with goodness and charity and kindness. So the natural man without Christ is driven by the evil things, the, the evil of his flesh and the sins of his flesh, those desires. And he wants to consume. He wants to gain. He wants to take. But Christ said it is better to give than to receive. So Jesus is self-giving. When he transforms our heart, he wants us to receive himself. And this is the whole conversation of being saved. This is letting Jesus come into your heart. This is the sinner's prayer. Um, and so the heart before Christ even enters in is evil. It is it is aloof in sin um, and can know no good as, as a result. Because whatever the heart determines to do, the body follows. Um, the heart is the, is the nervous center of the emotion. Uh, of, of the passion and will. And so with our, when our heart determines to do something, our mind usually follows and our heart can easily conceive our, or e- easily persuade our mind and conceive in it lustful things. Um, and this is what the scriptures are saying. And this is what greatest of these is determining to say. This is what I'm determining to say, to, to um, point to in my writing. And so following is Matthew 15, 19, which was given in paragraph two. And that says uh, in a, in the parallel, or what we call synoptic gospels, we have parallel sayings and verses. And so Matthew 15, 19 is the parallel 
um, to Mark 7, which was included in the second paragraph. So Matthew 15, 19 says, For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, and blasphemies. So these are the evil things that man without Christ is thinking of. These are the things. He wants to war in his members. He wants to war in the flesh. Um, and so then you'll see like rebelliousness or wars related to lust. And that's because lust is really anything that, that man wants to um, use to gain. So it may not just be a sexual thing. Uh, it could be a power thing, a money thing. Um, and so Christ is saying, well, you lust in your members. You just want to war. You want to kill. You want to slay. You want to take over. Um, and this is what the heart does without the spirit of God. Because the human heart, the humanity in us, wants to have things and wants to be material. Whatever the satisfaction is that comes from that, whether it be physical, emotional, um, and hopefully, God willing, it would be spiritual instead. Um, man is about that. That's what he wants. That's what he craves after. So then we have Matthew 24, 7, which says, For nations shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places. And so uh, then we have tribal warfare. So when man wants to war and take on and take over, then he has tribal warfare because there's communities and groups of men and people that want to go to war. And so if you look, mankind is always in a skirmish or a conflict of some kind around the world, um, whether it's through race or through ethnicity or through culture or through society, uh, political party or even denomination of religion. Um, man wants to battle. He wants to take over. He wants to control uh, and be on top. And so this is why going into 1 Peter 4.8, um, and 1 Peter, uh, as a result, um, he's going to say, and above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves. For charity shall cover the multitude of sins. And so the love of God, the love of Christ, changes our mindset, right? We don't want to just control. We want Christ to be in control because he's the only one that can cover our sins. He's the only one that has the authority as the head to do these very things. And so when love of God and, and Christ comes into us, it forgives us of our sins. We don't desire to be in control. We don't desire to war and to fight and to overcome except that which is evil. So the conversation gets turned around. Now, our conversation is not with the world to take over something that is material or something that. Uh, represents some international stance. No, now the conversation is taking over the evil of our day, right? Taking it head on, uh, battling it, conquering it. And so love gives us that chance because love gives us a second chance with Jesus. And that's the first thing. Once we have that second chance with Christ, now we have a, a new life, a new heart that he gives us. And this is what God says. I'll give you a new heart. I'll replace that foul and earthly heart and that stone heart with one of flesh so you can feel and you can have charity and love neighbor and love yourself and love God and you can do it rightly and justly. So then we have Colossians 2, 18 through 19 that says, Let no man beguile you of your reward in a voluntary humility and worshiping of angels, intruding into those things which you have not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind and not holding the head. So there's the key word, head, and that's Christ. From which all the body by joints and bands having nourishment ministered and knit together increases with the increase of God. So basically, the head is Christ. He is the head of the family, the church, the household, everything. And so everything else is fit jointly by that. We're the body. So all the joints and the marrow and the bone fits jointly together with the head when it recognizes who the true head is. And so that's Jesus Christ. He's the true head. So then we stop trying to overcome. We stop trying to get and to gain when we realize that everything belongs to God anyway. It is all the Lord's. And so he wants us to do great spiritual works and spiritual acts that are God-pleasing and not just 
profitable for man. And then we have Matthew 12, 43 through 45. And that says, When the unclean spirit has gone out of a man, he walketh through dry places, seeking rest, and findeth none. Then he saith, I will return into my house whence I came out. And when he has come, he findeth it empty, swept, and garnished. Then goeth he, and taketh with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself. And they enter in and dwell there. And the last state of the man is worse than the first. So this is showing basically demonic possession uh, in a, in a, a very simple, sim- simplified way, if you will. Because he's speaking of, of spirits. We know by church tradition and history that Mary Magdalene was possessed with seven spirits and Christ healed her of all those seven devils. And so Jesus here is speaking the same thing. He's saying, look, when you go out and you're swept with one spirit, you know, you're empty, you're hollow, you may get rid of one of those spirits of evil. But then that being cast out by yourself or being cast out on your own without the true love of Christ and conversion, then they'll have seven other spirits that will come and take over and they'll be more powerful than ever. You'll be just like Legion in the Bible, in the Gospels, who is just desolate because love is not there. It is a, a, a nihilism that it was like what I mentioned in the first paragraph of greatest of these is the nihilism. It is a nothingness. It's desolate. It is, it is washed over. It's cleaned out. And there's nothing to propel the love of God in you. There's nothing in you but the demonic spirits and evil. And that's, that's a, that's a nasty thought when you really think of it. It is an evil thought because if there's a nothingness in you, you're dead. Your, your conscience is dead and your soul is dead to the world. And this is not what the Lord wants. He wants life and animation. That's why he gave you a soul and a conscience. But it only comes alive through Jesus Christ and his love. And so then we have 1 Corinthians 13. Um, and this is basically the whole chapter of 1 Corinthians 13. I won't read through that. I will just tell you that part of that is, like, you know, charity suffereth long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love is not puffed up. It does not behave itself unseemly. And so those kinds of attributes are in that chapter. Uh, but what comes after and what I paired with that are the theological virtues and I found verses corresponding to each of those um, and so you have Hebrews 11.1 1, now faith is the substance of things hoped for the evidence of things not seen uh, Romans 8.24 for we are saved by hope but hope that is not seen or hope that is seen is not hope for what a man sees why does he yet hope for it uh, and then Colossians 3.14 and above all these things put on charity which is the bond of perfectness so you have faith hope and love um, you have to have all three but the greatest of these is love is what St. Paul is, is really driving towards. Um, the faith, hope, and love together are the theological virtues. And that is a completion for man. But the greatest one that binds them all together is love. And that's true biblical love. Um, further on, you have wisdom 8, 4 through 7. So it's speaking of wisdom. Um, and this is what I was speaking of in the in the episode before this about Mary being personified as wisdom, and so is love. Love can be personified as a she, and so it's talking about the mysteries of knowledge of God, a lover of His works. It's talking about what love truly is, how prudent it is, how respectful, um, how righteous, and all these things that love truly is. And so the Bible is going to speak on those things. Um, and the last, the latter ends of these uh, verses um, there's still some more that are connected Um, and so I actually went into the third paragraph by mistake so I'm going to end it here when it speaks of uh, in the 17th this is going to be the 16th and 17th footnote Um, so you have John 644 which no man come to me except the father 
which has sent him draws him. So the God has to draw the sun, which we'll delve into that in the next episode on what that truly means for love. Um, I skipped over second Peter one, three, which was an, another good one. That was according to his divine power. Uh, God has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness uh, through the knowledge of him that has called us to glory and virtue. And so there again, virtue is a popular thing. Uh, and the saint's life, virtue is necessary. Um, so love and virtue and love being a virtue, you're going to see that more and more in scripture come together and kind of bind itself together. Um, and then I'll close with Hebrews 11:6, which says, but without faith, it is impossible to please him for he that comes to God must first believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Um, so basically I'm, I'm making the assumption here because I really believe that faith is a huge attribute and you have to have faith to be a believer. Um, you cannot believe in Jesus Christ without faith. So even though the scripture is going to point at love as being the linchpin for all the theological conversations you'll have and all the spiritual acts and works that you'll have, faith is so, so prevalent. Um, and I'm going to talk about that more and more, but this is just my own perspective on how the... Um, enormous quality and immensity uh, that faith really is, um, how that balances with love. How love is the greatest of these, that's truth, um, but how faith is so pivotal that without love or without faith, you know, love cannot really conquer itself in the church. Okay, love exists and that's true because God is love, but without that faith, the, the loving part of God's nature extended to creation couldn't happen because man has to, has to have something to return. He has to have something that basically activates that love and enacts it, and that is faith. And so we'll speak more about that on the next episode. I'm confident that we'll be able to dive into that subject again. But I thank you for your time. Um, I hope this was informative, and I hope God does great things in your life in the next few weeks. Um, until we meet again, until we speak again on Greatest of These, I look forward to reading more of that in the next episode as well. So may God bless you and be with you and keep you.